Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. I'll be reading 1 John 4, which is the passage that Pastor Taylor is going to teach out of. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them, in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Michael. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Good to see you guys. I am honored to be here with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Roger, for this opportunity Um, Like you mentioned, my name is Taylor. I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Generation and get to oversee our incredible students and our student ministry. Um, And so, shameless plug, I guess. Um, uh, If you are in here or have any uh, friends of youth age and all that, we'd love to have them on Wednesday nights. And we're getting ready uh, for the best time of year, which is part of partially camp season with our winter camp, January 13th through the 15th. Uh, would love to have you be a part, even if you're interested in serving within the student ministry. We'd love to have you as well. 
uh, so we can connect after service. But I am very excited to continue this series of First John. And uh, I said this last service as a disclaimer, but Pastor Adam's in here now, so it kind of makes it even uh, funnier to me. But um, in this series, you know, we got together as a team and uh, we're kind of breaking down who is going to talk about what. And we realized that chapter two is really long. And so we're like, hey, why don't we break this up a little bit? And so I was giving Adam a hard time that I was blessed with the opportunity to preach on the first part. Um, and Adam was the second part, which dealt with talking about the Antichrist. And so I was like, oh, there you go, Adam. Good luck. With that, and then so when I opened up chapter 4, um, it talks about the Antichrist. And so uh, I guess he got a little revenge on me that way. I don't know, because I think he was even originally supposed to preach on chapter 4 as well. But here we are. Um, and so very thankful to uh, be in this series, um, Are You Sure? And the reason we kind of chose this and went with this was the idea to um, not just ask and answer the question, are you sure that you're saved? But I kind of even look at it as, are you sure that the way that you are living your life is revealing Christ to those around you? And so that is um, what we have been looking at. And the main uh, verse for this whole series was verse 13 in chapter 5, 1 John 5, verse 13, which says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so this is kind of the framework of what we want to deliver this message in hopes that Jesus will speak to you um, along these same lines. Well, let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump into our discussion this morning. Father, we thank you for this time, and we just ask you to open up our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, we ask for revelation of your word so that we walk out of here um, not just with learning something new, but with others in mind that we can impact and to even leave an eternal impact in their lives, God. So we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so we've been on this journey now as we have chapter 4 today, and Pastor Brian will wrap up with chapter 5 next week. We have seen this progression in John's writing. And, and what's interesting about uh, chapter 4 is, like I mentioned a second ago, I got to preach on chapter 2, and I'm pretty sure I could have... Uh, used my same notes for chapter 2 to preach out of chapter 4 because two of the three points that I had in chapter 2 are in chapter 4. And so thought about doing that and maybe just see if you guys paid attention a few weeks ago, but decided not to. Um, but you kind of ask, like, you know, nobody likes really reading a book where it seems really repetitive. You know, I think you could get some books where it's like, mentions the same thing, or if you get more than one book and it's like same story, written by the same guy, but same stories and all this stuff. But what really you pull from hearing and reading John's writings and this uh, book specifically is that he is repetitive. He is talking about the same things in and out of each chapter. And the one thing I walked away with with this was how he speaks with just this incredible importance and warning of what we need to understand and what we need to heed from this writing in 1 John. And so Pastor Ray mentioned it last week and how, you know, the first part of chapter John, uh, first part of the book of John, he talks more along the topic of God as light, right? He talks about the difference between light and darkness and, and all, of that, all of that, and that it seemed like through half of chapter three last week, that John took a turn into kind of the theme of God is 
love. And so even in chapter 4, you kind of see that same progression of uh, John talking about, once again, um, God is light, God is love, and then makes that transition into how we can apply that to our lives. So if you're in, looking in your notes or grabbed a, a note on the way in, um, I did a little backwards in your notes today. Um, your blanks are all up front, and so then we can just kind of hang out and study the scriptures together after that. Um, but that first blank is that God is spirit. And this was kind of how I think John wrote it in mind. And what I love about this writing from John and kind of the feeling I got as I read it because of the words he uses like beloved and children and all this stuff is that John is kind of writing this from a fatherly perspective. He's like, hey, I've been around for a long time. Like at this point of writing this, he's like the last OG disciple. You know, he's, he's towards the end of his life as well. And maybe this is kind of his farewell speech, so, you know, so to speak. And so he's writing, you know, in chapter two, he uses the word beloved a lot. And then even the last part uh, before it gets into um, talking about the Antichrist, he has this encouragement of where he's basically speaking life into all ages, children, young men, men, and all of that. So you kind of get this fatherly approach of really exhorting and encouraging us to be aware of our surroundings so that we could fully understand the weight of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because the bottom line of what we have and who we are as Christians is that the only reason we could stand here and live for Jesus is because of what he did on the cross. We understand that we're all sinners. We understand that the punishment, that the wages of sin is death, but then Jesus came to give us eternal life. Even in John 10, 10, he says that he came to give us life and to give us life to the full. So our baseline is that we do realize we're sinners. We do realize we've fallen short and we do realize that the wages of sin is death. But if we could understand the weight of what Jesus did on the cross, then we're able to move forward and really understanding John's message to us and what that means. And so we realize first that God is spirit. You know, what I love about this is that we're able to get through everything that we could face because of the presence of God in our lives. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through, um, you know, the, the strength that he gives us, the conviction that he gives us, the life he encourages us to lead, we have the power and we have overcome, not because anything we've done or what we're going to do, but by everything that Jesus has done for us, in us, and through us. That comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, you know, with these first six verses in chapter 4 in a, mo- in a few moments. But I love the verse, and it kind of explains this to me in 1 John 4, 4, which says, Little children... You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So that kind of takes the pressure off of us, right? Like, we're going to face things. We're going to face trials. We're going to hear things and and wonder if we're living the right way, believing the right way, doing the right things, and feel like we're not being able to overcome anything. But when in reality, the way to overcome anything is realizing who lives in us. Because we weren't the ones that died on the cross. We weren't the ones that made us right with God. Jesus, through his spirit, lives in us. Therefore, we have already overcome the world. 
We've overcome our past struggles, and we've already overcome the struggles that we're going to walk into one day. You know, like we're going to face trials. It's a guarantee, but we know that because of the Spirit of God, we have overcome the world because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And then the second thing is that God is light. And we mentioned this a second ago, but, you know, we spent some time in series talking about light and darkness and how in chapter two we talked about how that the darkness represents sin and the light represents you know, not being in sin and living in Jesus. And we even referred to the, the few verses in Matthew 5 where it says that nobody lights a light and puts it under a basket, right? What do they do? They light it and put it on a lamp for the whole house to receive light so that, verse 16, that people around us may see our good deeds and worship God in heaven. And so our light was never made just for us. The light and Jesus that is inside of us and what Jesus saved us from, the image I get is that if I were to reevaluate my life and take everything that Jesus saved me from, take the struggles that I've had up until this point in my life, the ones that I felt like that I was never going to overcome, and and even the impacts that I know that it's had on other people, it's like taking the salvation that Jesus has given me and not sharing it with people around me. That's what I see when I envision what, it, what Matthew meant when he said nobody puts a light under a basket. Instead, they put it out for all to see, not in a boastful or prideful way, but it's like, hey, you need what I have. If you want life, you need the light that I have. So we have the opportunity to bridge the gap for those around us to experience the love of Christ like we have. That is our job as Christian is to be light bearers to those around us. And 1 John 1, 5 says that this, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So maybe today we need to evaluate ourselves that if we feel like there is darkness in our lives, we need to see if maybe we need to get back into the presence of God and back into the word of God so that we can get back into God being light in us because there is no darkness in God. Darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. So if we're living in darkness, that means we're living in the absence of Christ. And we need that to be inside of us. And then which brings us to the bulk of our discussion today in that blank is that God is love. God is love. And if there's one thing in our culture today that I feel like is completely tarnished and taken out of context is love. You can turn on the news and turn on different things and all you see is God is love, God is love. And it's used as an excuse to live a certain way because you don't want to live up to the way that the word of God is telling you to. When you see things that say God is love, but it's backed up by darkness, you know that that's just something that you're seeing to make you feel okay with the sin that you're living with. That's abusing grace. It's abusing what God has done and certainly what Jesus went through on the cross. And so God, God's love is not an excuse to live the way you want. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. The love that we have that transformed us, that gave us a new life, does not work that way. It's perfect love. 
And he says it a little further, that perfect love casts out all fear. If you have fear in your life or darkness in your life, your absence from the love of God abiding in you doesn't justify the way you live. God's love should convict you out of living that way to live a righteous life, not make it okay to stay in the sin that you're in. That's the difference. And that's the message that it's our responsibility as the church today, not just as, as Generation Church, but as the whole church. Our, our goal is to stand with the Word of God and preach it and proclaim it and let it transform us so that it will transform the world around us. And so for, the, for about two weeks now, I kind of struggled with the idea that John, like when you read chapter four, you kind of have the first six verses that's talking about testing the spirit and the spirit of the Antichrist and all this stuff. And then, then it's just like a whole bunch of stuff about love, right? So like from the surface, it doesn't really seem like it goes together. From the surface, it kind of seems like, you know, I've, I've done it before where like you, you're preaching a message or something and you're trying to think of a story that um, may go with it to prove your point or to make it easier to understand your point. And you just throw this story in there and hope it works, right? And so, but the more I thought about it and the more I was actually thinking about my conversation with Pastor Ray last week when we were doing the rap party on the podcast. And if you haven't, if you don't listen to that, um, it's one of my favorite things we do as a church where we just kind of, it's called the rap party. We don't rap. We just recap the message from that Sunday. But um, we were talking about that and God's love and even alluding to this week in this passage. And this is what I felt like the Lord was showing me um, when I was reading it. Is that I mentioned earlier is that love is one of the biggest things that is taken advantage of or taken out of context in our society today, certainly America and in the local church. You know, culture today in America is trying to force the church into believing something and to believing love and living a certain way when it should be the opposite, that the church should live in such a way that, it, that church or Christianity sets culture. It's not defined by culture. And one of those things that does that is love, like we just talked about. And so it makes perfect sense that John starts chapter 4 off by saying things like, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God... You know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so there is this competition or vying for our attention as believers is what is right, what is wrong. If you believe this way, you're wrong. If you don't believe this way, you're wrong. And that's not what the whole point was. And even as I stand here today and preach to you, my challenge to you is take every word you ever hear and line it up with the Word of God. Whether it's a message on a Sunday, a podcast you listen to, a book that you read, our job as believers is to filter everything through the Word of God. Because if we don't filter things to the Word of God and we only take things at face value, then the coolest vision is going to sound like it's straight from the heart of God. 
when that's not accurate. Our job is to filter everything through the, the Spirit of God and what His will is for us, which comes through the Word of God. And if we can do that, then we're able to start doing everything that John is telling us on the topic of love. Sure, there's plenty of other topics, plenty of other ways that we can apply the Scriptures to our lives, but, it, but in this setting and in what John is seeing is that if there is a baseline to the very faith we have, it's love. The very baseline that we have, the faith that we have, the foundation of our faith is love, and that love came through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He could have figured something else out. You know, he could have sent in an army, which most of the Jewish or the Jews thought was coming because they wanted him to overthrow Roman rule and all that stuff. That was their idea of a savior. So you can imagine how perhaps they were let down when they realized that it wasn't going to come that way, but it was going to come through love through the cross, an eternal battle, an eternal victory. So 1 John 4, 7-8, through 8, as we keep in mind now, that love is what we have. Love is the baseline of who we are as believers and as Christians. And the very thing that we're supposed to share to others is love. How do we apply that to our lives? And I think we get our answer right here. 1 John 4, 7-8 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so we could probably say that the valid test of a Christian is how we love people, how we love those around us. Because we have an opportunity in our faith that we could introduce people to Jesus without ever saying a word. Yes, love comes from our actions. Yes, love comes through things we know, knowledge we have, you know, education we go through, things that we grow in. But we have to realize this, that's not the whole point. And I was reading a commentary, and I wasn't originally going to share this because I wasn't even sure um, I understood the thought, but uh, I feel like it does apply to us. It's like... If you're like me, I have had relationships in my life, whether it was dating relationships or um, friendships and things like that, that weren't good ones. And in those moments, I would say that I love them, right? But how many of you know that you could love well and treat people nice, but be completely tied to sin? And so in this commentary, it kind of creates this point of like, is it possible that the reason you felt like you loved in those relationships because it was more of a head love than a heart love. Does that make sense? Like when you go through a breakup and you say you're heartbroken and all this stuff, is it, could it just be more of that you were just so emotionally attached to what that relationship offered you, sin or not, that when that was removed from it, you thought you were heartbroken, but really all you were doing was loving from your head and not your redeemed and brand new heart from the love of God inside of you. Does that make sense? 
And so the challenge in this and what I love about John's writing is that you could also jump back into Paul's writings and really see the same theme, the same theme of love and how important it is. And so for the sake of not giving the exact same message from chapter two, we're going to jump over and learn a little bit from Paul as well in 1 Corinthians 13. And everything I'm fixing to read, I guarantee you everybody in this room has probably heard this at a wedding. Right. But I think it on the grand scheme of things, you hear the message of how important it is, of how we are to love, not just in the context of a marriage or what you hear being spoken over a couple standing on an altar getting married, married. But as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, it says this in first Corinthians 13, one through seven that if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. So we even see how that whole passage ends, is that love really is the framework and foundation of who we are as Christians, right? It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things through the good times, through the bad times, through the highest mountain or the lowest, darkest valley. Love is the only thing that remains. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for us. Like I said, he could have probably figured it out. He could have even been on the cross and realized it wasn't worth it and probably had the power to snap his fingers and it go a different way. But through love, he didn't look at us and see sin. He looked at us and loved us even more. And he gave his life for us. And so is it possible that love is more about how you, not just about action, but just how you live in general. Like you could read these books and you could gain all this knowledge and you could do all this stuff, but perhaps the one thing that when they looked at Peter and John when they were arrested for healing the guy at the beautiful gate, they even said that they looked like an ordinary people with little training, but they saw Jesus. They saw love. They saw these two guys that gave this guy the love of God, healed him, and didn't have any reason to do anything else to him because they saw Jesus. That is who, that's how I want to be seen. I want to live my life in a way that when people look at me, they don't see me. They're probably not going to see much education because I went to a public school in Alabama, but, you know, I want them to see Jesus. I don't want to be known as just someone that can memorize scripture, someone that's passionate about apologetics. Like I want to be known as someone that just loved Jesus 
and love people well. Because the truth is, we can introduce people to Jesus without ever saying a word. We can introduce people to the love of God and their lives be radically changed by how we love them. We, like I mentioned earlier, we literally have the opportunity to bridge the gap from people around us to eternity. That is a responsibility and honor that I hope all of us feel the weight of that. And in 1 John 4:10, 1 John 4 verses 10 through 12, it says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then this is what I want you to hold on to. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what does that mean? Is that we know that we've we've never seen God. That's the that's the starting point of our faith, right? There's a beginning and ending to faith. The beginning is trusting that God is who he says he is, and the end of faith is believing that he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. But we've never seen God like I'm looking at you right now. So how do people see God? Through us. Because if God No one has ever seen God, but God's love is perfected in us. That means that we have the opportunity to bring light and love to those around us. You know, and without ever saying anything, and I told this story in the last service, and I thought about it as I was talking, and it was the only reason I shared it, but there was a guy I went to school with, and um, I'll be honest with you, I did not like the guy growing up. The only thing we had similar was uh, that his name was Taylor, and we went to the same school, and he played football. You know, for a while he was an Alabama fan and then decided to be an Auburn fan, so we certainly didn't like each other after that. But um, what I'm fixing to tell you is probably a fairly embarrassing story because it happened when I was a senior in high school, which means I was 18 years old. So keep that in mind with what I'm fixing to tell you. But I pretty much had the most Napoleon Dynamite experience of my life. Um, And that is, this guy tried to fight me in the hallway over tater tots. Someone told him that I stole his tater tots. And I, for the life of me, can't even remember that we had the same lunch period. But here we are. Right outside of the principal's office, mind you, he pushes me up against the locker and is like, you ate my tater tots. And I'm like... Are we really fighting about this right now? And, um, you know, and I was telling Derek outside, the same guy, the only fight I ever got in in high school um, was this guy's fault. It wasn't with him, but it was with another guy because I showed up at a gas station and he was like, hey, uh, this girl, I'm going to be late for curfew and um, this girl needs a ride back to her car. And, you know, I didn't even know this girl. And I guess I'm just a really nice guy. And so like, okay, I'll help her out. And her boyfriend was there where her car was. So you can imagine how that goes in high school with drama and all that. So uh, I really didn't like this guy. Um, And about 10 years later, he messages me on Facebook. And we kind of joke about it here at the church. 
you know, faith isn't lived if the, if the only time you talk about Scripture is posting your favorite status on Facebook. But um, he messaged me like 10 years later on Facebook and just said, hey, man, like I want you to know the way you live your life has inspired me to give God a shot. And, um, you know, I don't share that story to uh, toot my own horn or whatever, but I have not seen that guy in person since the first football game of the year, the fall after I graduated high school, which was um, in 2008. And this, he was messaging me in like 2018 or something like that. And so didn't even know the guy was still alive. Like I had no idea where he was, what he was doing. And I say all that to say is like, and I didn't say a word to him. Like, I guess up until this point, the only memory I had of him was him trying to fight me over tater tots. Like I, I had nothing for this guy. I was just living my life, going to school, trying, and probably at most times feeling like I was failing as a Christian most of the time. But he saw something that sparked something inside of him and inspired him and interested in him to think, oh, maybe this God thing is for me. And maybe some of you have had that same, same encounter. You know, maybe you're at the grocery store and God just has this, I like calling them God moments, where something just happens. You know, if you look at any story of any popular apologist today, like Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel or any of those guys, they became Christians because they saw a group of people and realized they needed what they have. It didn't come through a conversation, just a conversation. In fact, like if you've ever heard Josh McDowell's story, he dropped out of college for a whole semester to prove those people wrong, but then that's what got him saved. But he realized through relationship that Jesus is real. So you got to see the power in it to know that if you just live in your life speaks louder than any word you could say and can line somebody and realign someone with the gospel, then we have to realize that love has everything to do with it. Kind of like the, the cheesy song, I guess. I almost named this whole message, What Does Love Have to Do With It? And here's the answer. It, love is everything. Love is everything. And I'm not talking about like some romantic, romantic movie or rom-com kind of love, fairy tale love that leaves you heartbroken every time. I'm talking about this messy, authentic, bloody love that Jesus experienced on the cross. Like that was painful. It was bloody. Like you couldn't even recognize Jesus, but that's what love looks like. Love is treating someone away without expecting anything in return and maybe even expecting that you're not going to get anything in return and still being okay with it. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. And when you look through all these scriptures, um, as we get ready to close the bank and go ahead and come on up, um, you know, the verse that Pastor Rogers shared in transition and then Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our text today, 1 John 4, that we love because he first loved us. And then we know this verse, you know, whether it's the first verse you ever memorized or you saw it on Tim Tebow's Eye Black when he was in college. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He doesn't say that God loved us transactionally. 
says that God loved, so loved the world, not because we got our act together or we went a month without sinning or we finally got over that struggle. It doesn't say anything about that, but what it does says that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We don't deserve any of that. But what is the one thing that nailed our sins to the cross was love. The one thing that nailed our sins to the cross that somehow made us worthy of, of, of the life that Jesus deserved and gave Jesus the life that we had, the sin, he became sin. What, get, what made that possible? That was love. I say this all the time, but it, it's even louder in, in this topic is that Jesus died on the cross for us because he loved us knowing that we might never love him back. Knowing that we're going to encounter things in our life that may force us in a moment of despair and even question everything going on and that he loved us so much that, he's, that, that you could say that he probably saw that no matter what, even if they never love me back, they're still worth it. And he says that about every one of you today. And if you're watching online, there is room for, for you in the house of God. There is room for you in the love of God. And all he wants for you is to experience his love and share it with people. What would it look like if we took that approach and we forgot fear? What does our text say today? Is that love cast out all fear or worry about what would people think? But what would it look like if we really lived out Matthew 5, where we took our light, we took everything that Jesus has done in us, and we showed the world. It wasn't just our highlight reel that we're posting on Facebook, but we lived our life with everyone else in mind because the very thing we have, the very spark, the very love that we have has the power to keep someone out of hell and introduce them to Jesus so that they can spend eternity with him. Love is everything. Love is everything. And if you want to go ahead and stand as we get ready to close, I want to pray for, for two groups of people. And, and first, if maybe you're in here and you're ready just to accept that love in your life for the first time. And maybe you've, you've thought you've done it before. Maybe you've wrestled with it before, but I just urge you, don't wait. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to come to God with it all figured out. You have an open door right now to the perfect love of Jesus. It's not like a gift card where when you run out of money, you can't use it anymore. Like his love is unconditional. It's not transactional. He will freely give it to you every day. And if that is you, and I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front or anything like that, but I just want you to say this prayer in your heart and just mean it and just say something like, Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me when I don't deserve it. I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I repent of my sins. And I ask you for your guidance, God, so that I could share the love that you've given me this morning with the people around me. And maybe you're in here and, and you're, you've just been going through it. We know life's hard. We know 
More times than not, we're going to feel like we're not going to make it. We want to give up. But this morning, let's let God's love encourage us and drive us into that. And so, Father, I pray for them this morning, God, as they recommit their lives to you, that they embrace your perfect love. And that whatever fear they may have, whatever they may be going through, Lord, that you um, are there with them. Lord, we make room for them this morning. And God, I just pray that as a church family this morning, whether they're in this room right now or watching online or they even go at some point during the week and watch this, Lord, that you have a plan for every one of us. Help us to make a difference, Lord. Let us walk out of here completely changed and that when everyone looks at us, they don't see our struggles. They don't see our problems. They just see you. They see your love. And we thank you for this opportunity. As we close out in worship this morning, Lord, we ask you to come. We want to experience your presence more than we ever have before. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, We'd love to hear about it, so please drop us a note.